welcome to the City of the Great King podcast with your host, Tyler Swatsky. That's me. Hello. How you guys doing? Glad that you are here. Episode 8. We're at 8 now. Wow. I want to do something fun today. And maybe my version of fun is different than your version of fun. But you know what I find fun? I like to think about things from macro perspectives and then find trends. Uh, I was always a big fan of sports statistics. And when I was a teenager, I could have told you who the third line left winger of the Dallas Stars was. Like, and I knew who was drafted in the 2009 first round, 20th overall in the NHL draft. Like, I like looking at, at data and big scale things and seeing how things develop and how players turned out, all that type of stuff. It's no different in the world of church ecclesiology and theology and so i'm applying that desire into this question which is what will the church look like over the next 20 years and i think this is a fascinating question and i think it's very helpful to think about Uh, one of the coolest parts about me talking about this now i'm still in my 20s and So I will still have breath in my lungs, Lord willing, in 20 years to be able to look back at this and see how it aged. You know, when things don't age well, you can find old Twitter videos that did not age well. Let's see how this one ages. And that'll be a fascinating thing for me to do when I'm in my late 40s. So... That's what, so, so it's for my own fascination is one reason, but I think it's very helpful to think this way in general. And at the outset, we have to recognize that none of us have perfect knowledge, of course. I can make any prediction I want. Anybody can make any prediction. And something that we do not see can throw it completely off. Or we're just straight up wrong about some things. We didn't see something properly. But the more homework you do, the more diligent you are in examining these things. Uh, the keener eye that you have and grasp of the issues of the day and where society's going, I think we will be right about a lot of things that we predict, but not necessarily all of them. We don't have perfect knowledge, but that doesn't make this a fruitless endeavor. See, this is worth doing because it forces us to think meaningfully, to put meaningful thought behind what's going on. So if I wanted to challenge somebody to... Tell me in meaningful categories what is the uh, what is how is the religious landscape going to develop over the next twenty years? Like you wouldn't be able to do that if you put absolutely no thought into it, and if you do put thought into it, that forces you to re-examine what you're doing. See, if you're thinking, "Oh, what's the world going to look like in twenty years?" Then all of a sudden, it matters what I'm doing right now because what I'm doing now is helping shape what's going. To happen in 20 years if for nothing else than just my own life but certainly everybody connected to me and if you have some influence then anybody who's following your influence so it forces you to think about why you do what you do what you're doing the purpose behind what you do so it gets you engaged you get thinking about the next generation and this is a crucial part of leadership in general is that you're always thinking Where is this going? How is this going to affect the people behind me? Uh, The children who are growing up. You're always thinking of the next generation, and that is part of 
effective leadership. You, you want to die in, and not have any influence? Just don't do anything for the next generation. Don't think about them. So I think it's important to, even if we're wrong about some things, to ask this question and think about it. And I encourage you to do your own meditation and reflection upon this. Uh, see if I'm right. See if you have, see if I've missed something or if you have an observation that I'm not getting at. Certainly I can't get to everything, but try to do it for yourself. I think you might come across some beneficial um, insights. So to think about where things are going over the next 20 years and what the church will look like in, over the next 20 years, it helps to make a couple comments on the current landscape. And the current landscape of churches, the, the truth is that most churches are struggling. Um, that is just a fact, especially post-COVID. There are a lot of churches that are struggling, and many of them were already struggling before, but in the COVID, and I don't even want to say post-COVID, I know I did already, but in this, since COVID, it has just been exasperated. The issues that were already there have just been opened up and expanded and come to the surface. So the churches that were already struggling are struggling even more now. The churches which were um, stagnant are still stagnant, if not have decreased since before COVID. And I don't mean necessarily the disease itself. I more mean the societal reaction, the cultural movement since then, the movement of our government and, the, and our leaders. People may not recognize this, but the impact of COVID on our cultural societal landscape is momentous. Like there's no just, oh, we're going to get over these two years and go back to some whatever normal was. No, no that's gone. That's gone. This is the, the level of change and clarity even that has, that has come and the effects from this post-COVID-ish time is 9-11 levels of of high alert. It it has opened up floodgates. It has revealed what's been under the surface. And this is true both on a societal level and in a church level. So many churches are struggling. Many have are, are don't have as many people in their churches that they did before. They have to convince people to come back uh, with the shutdowns and all of that. And very many churches are just stagnant. Few have grown. Few have increased in influence. And so the numbers the numbers are that um, the numbers are down in churches. And there's some other reasons too. It's not it's not just this COVID stuff, but some of the reasons for why numbers are on the decline on a on a different level is that people see church as not adequately satisfying their needs. I think that's one of them. They think that um, well, the church used to be to get instruction. Well, I can get instruction from Wikipedia. So what do I need the church for? Um, they saw it as a need for friends to, to have some fellowship. Well, all my friends from school, I can message on Instagram. We send TikTok videos to each other. We can hang out. We go drinking. Like, so I don't need church now for fellowship because I'm in connection with them through direct messaging. So they, there's other things, but they don't see it as, as church as adequately satisfying their needs. I think a second reason is that people think church is not needed for today's postmodern world. They won't usually use that word postmodern, but the where we are today, what is church good for? Like church gives a 
uh, a definite standard for things. It gives a objective truth, a framework, a worldview, a hard lens by which you view the world. And that seems to be unnecessary today because uh, you can't be ex- excluding other people's truths and the worldviews that other people have. They're living by how they feel, what they think they are, what feels good to them, what just makes sense to them in a natural level. Everyone's got their different views, so why would you go to this place that just gives you a very narrow view? I think that is what a lot of people think. And I think a third reason is numbers are on the decline in church because a lot of people in society view church as this hateful, judgy group of people. And I think this is mostly due to media, social media in particular. But if you ask the common person, the common secularist or somebody who doesn't go to church, they'll very quickly get to hypocritical people in the church. They're hateful, they're judgmental and all these things. And then you ask them, okay, so tell me about your church experience. Have you been to church? Have you listened to sermons in person? Have you gone? Have you been there? Have you been part of the fellowship? And most of them, no, they haven't. They don't have real world experience with it. And so their views of church is mostly formed through the media and social media. If you got them into one of their local churches, that wouldn't be their experience of hatefulness and judgmentalism and and all of this. But people have have adopted this view of church that has not come from experience. So where is it coming from? Because it used to come from experience. The people would get burned out or they would lose trust in a leader or they'd get backstabbed by somebody. But that was personal experience. Now where are they getting it from? It's coming from media. That's the only other place it can come from. Think about it. So the, the view out there is that we are just hateful, judgy, and all that. But So that's the current landscape. But the landscape has been changing, as I said, especially since COVID came onto the scene. And this changing landscape that we're in is only going to keep on changing. We are far from the end of the revolutions that are turning. Uh, The current reasons that people aren't being part of the church, the ones I just mentioned, they're not sustainable. And again, the the reasons I gave were not adequately satisfying their needs, not needed for today's postmodern world, and hateful, judgy people. These reasons are not sustainable. And for the first one, people are going to continue to have needs that are not being met outside of the church. So right now, you think that you are satisfying your need for fellowship by having these digital friendships, meeting up once in a while, your friends all live across the continent, and that's okay. Well, you're going to find that your need for fellowship is actually not going to long-term be met that way. We are designed to be intimately in fellowship with one another, and that is one of the strongest benefits of the church, is that it is a family-like community, the good churches anyway. And so if you stay outside of that and you don't have meaningful connections in life, you're going to find that you aren't having those needs met. And I submit that most people who are not involved in church are not having their needs of fellowship and intimacy met. Uh, as without being part of a meaningful church community because they don't have any meaningful communities that they are part of. It's just a couple friends and maybe a couple of them online. So they'll keep having needs met or needs not being met outside of the church. Secondly, on the postmodern world thing, it is blatant inconsistency, insanity even, to live without subscribing to objective truth. 
So the changing landscape that, that is going to continue to happen, this view that people have where we all can have different truths, different realities, and we can coexist together as long as we don't infringe upon one another, we're peaceful, we respect one another, that is going to be shown over the next couple decades for the inconsistency and even insanity that it is. You do have to subscribe to objective truth. And of course, the the a common thing that's brought up here is every time you cross the street, you have to invoke an objective standard of truth that's not relative to other people's experiences or feelings or uh, entering into their world. No, because we do all live in an objective world. At least we live like we do. Even if we want to intellectually deny it or philosophically deny it, we do share objective realities. And so these ideas out there where everybody can have their own existential truth is going to be seen, be rejected by more and more people over the next couple decades. I know it's widespread today, but we're already seeing the, the cracks in the foundation of that. And that's going to continue. So people are going to look for objective truths to hold by a, a compelling worldview through which to live. Plus to avoid, to deny an objective worldview by which you live is to not be holistic. As people, we crave to have consistency and to be in a system, to have regular habits, to know, to expect that the next day will be somewhat like the day today. So these are, these are things that we are designed to want, and this of course, comes because we are in God's world and we are God's creation. And so there's theological reasons for that, which we can't get, get all into today. But it's not holistic to deny objective truth and to not have a holistic worldview or a worldview to by which you view everything. So people will move more in that direction. And thirdly, the media, social media, these platforms that are primarily the uh, aggressors towards making people think that Christians and those in church are just hateful, judgy people, the media is going to continue to alienate more people. It's already been doing that. I think the COVID narratives have red-pilled a ton of people to the media, even black-pilled people to the media. And so it's going to continue to alienate more people as it doesn't line up with their personal experiences. See, we can only handle so much of accepting something that we don't actually see right in front of us. We're still very early, historically speaking, in the internet and social media times. So it's still kind of having its heyday, but that is going to end as the media continues to push out messages that uh, blatantly contradict our first world experience. It'll cause people to be alienated from the messages of the media. It'll cause people to lose trust in it. So when the churches which survive are putting on some type of cultural event or or a community event or something like that, they will see that, oh, this is not what social media told me that the church was like. These things are going to happen more and more over the next couple decades. So people will lose trust. And it's not just church. This is going to happen in other spheres too. But people are going to lose trust in what the media is telling them. Because it's going to alienate more people as it doesn't line up with their real-world experience. And so people will, more and more people will reject just accepting whatever, their, whatever somebody, an influencer on TikTok said. It's going well now, even though there's cracks in that, but people are going to continue to reject it. 
not only that, the landscape continues to change because people will continue to be pushed into extremes. Have you noticed that things are becoming much more black and white now? Uh, we have to have an opinion on everything, and it's either this or it's this. You either are pro-choice or you're pro-life. You're either... Um, you stick with the gender that you were born with, or you can be a trans. You can be transgender. You are either Republican or you are Democrat, conservative or liberal. We are being pushed into, and the way that these terms are defined are narrow. They're not becoming more and more expansive. In fact, they're becoming more and more defined and narrow. And you will be more and more forced to position yourself with one of these groups into the extremes. The issues are going to intensify as black and white. You, you think that they're, it's pretty black and white now? That's only going to intensify over the next couple decades as the, the standard of postmodernism, that we all have equal opinions that are all equally valid and we have to tolerate one another, that's going by the wayside. That, that can't last. That's not sustainable. And so there will be a couple versions, a handful of overarching versions of truth and worldview, and you will have to select one, or you will naturally find yourself falling into one. So we are going to continue to be pushed into extremes as crisis mounts, um, which also means that the middle is going to continue to be ineffective and undesirable to people. It can be a it can be popular to try to be a middle way type. That oh, I'm not I'm not going to put myself in this. Uh, in this box of being pro-life or pro-choice. I'm going to be somewhere in the middle and we're going to, I'm going to try to make both sides come together and make a better way, a so-called better way in the middle. This is going to go away. It's going to be seen as ineffective because the middle way is ineffective. It is not going to present desirable solutions to the problems that people face. Like you're not solving inflation by being a middle way guy. You're not solving the reproductive issues by being a middle way guy. You're not you're not solving any issue when you're in the middle. I know that this is really popular among some in the church, uh, usually older types who are uncomfortable now in this world where you have to put down your stake in the ground and define where you are and stand there that's not that hasn't been the world of many of our older leaders older pastors even so they will continue to try to push this message of middle way lovingness but it'll be rejected by people it's because it's not giving real answers it's not effective into face in facing the world that i am actually growing up into it'll be seen as undesirable and so the largest middle way types, as I was just saying, these are typically older people. And not only that, but over the next 20, 10, 20 years, a lot of them are going to die. And the younger ones who are middle way kinds that aren't pushing you, trying to push you into a particular view of things, uh, they will be pushed away. And they will also personally see that their mentors, the older middle way guys who are all dying, they're going to see as well that it is not an effective way to lead in a post-COVID world, in a post-modern world, like things are changing fast. Even the terms I'm using now, some of these terms are going to be are going to mean different things in about 20 years. Like I don't even know what post-COVID is going to mean. You know what I mean by it right now, in a way, but 
things are changing. And those who are not giving solid answers and a solid framework by which to interpret the stuff that's going on, they're going to be seen as untrustworthy, ineffective, and undesirable. You will have to put your stake in the ground. You'll have to, if you want to survive, if you want to have influence. And people are not going to follow those who are not giving them answers. So this will cause the landscape of the church to radically change too. So think of the implications of some of this. We're already seeing it in the corporate world. In the world of corporations and companies, aren't we seeing more and more small businesses and privately owned companies go under and the expansion of a few powerful corporations? We're already seeing that, that the large corporations, the ones at the top, are continuing to get larger and we're we are losing a whole bunch of family-owned, small, private business. And this is all across the world that this is happening, but particularly in the West, in the Western world. We're having fewer companies, but larger corporations. The ones that do survive are larger. This is going to be the exact same thing that defines the landscape of the church. The churches, which are middle-way types, which are not giving people solid frameworks to planting their stakes in the ground, getting them engaged in the issues, giving them answers. Those churches that want to uh, fight against the trends that we are going into are going to decrease. They're going to close up shop. There's going to be fewer churches in number. It's very common if you go into a new town or city and you type in a Christian church or whatever in this city, you will have pages of results. You'll have dozens of churches to choose from. That's going to decrease. Fewer churches will dot the landscape of these cities, but we will have increasing mega churches. So not necessarily will there be fewer Christians, but there will be fewer churches. The, there will be fewer churches, but they will be bigger because these are the ones that people will see as giving them what they are looking for. They'll be providing for their needs, which were not being met above, uh, that are giving them answers in today's world and are not hateful judgy, but are, are loving fellowship communities, which teach you something, that give you something to hold on to. There will be fewer churches in number, but the ones that survive will be bigger. More people will flock to few churches. This means that there will be denominations that are going to fold and amalgamate. Now, I think that a lot of the effects of this is going to take longer than 20 years, but even just in the next 20 years, we are going to see, continue to see massive declines in, um, I guess, what, what conservatives like me would understand as liberal denominations, those which are, which are compromising with the state, with views of secularists, with, with not being robust in having answers for stuff that are trying to cooperate with everybody. Those denominations are going to fold. The ones that are don't have a standard to offer, which is the unvarnished word of God to every single issue of life, the denominations that don't do that will fold or will amalgamate. The few churches that are still there will join other denominations. So we will have fewer denominations. But the churches which make them up will be larger. So it's important then, and a necessary the next part of this is to think about what are the characteristics of the churches which will survive then? 
what which churches will be the ones even the, that won't die that won't fold but will be the ones that people are flocking to the bigger ones and i think there's a few things but number one i've already been alluding to it but they have robust answers for all or at least multiple spheres of life and we're not so that means that we're not being contained to this narrowly defined uh, realm of the spiritual any church that just wants to be uh, about oh, all we're going to do is try to do our confessions and that's uh, we're going to teach our confessions and if you memorized it great we're not going to teach you how to apply it to life or what that means for abortion or what that means in your workplace or you know we're just we're going to do the spiritual stuff at church but we're not going to get into politics we're not going to get into culture we're not going to get into uh the issues of war and i do think there's going to be war coming at the end of this decade but um for us too but the the characteristics of a church which survives is one that is active in multiple spheres because the changing landscape is one in which people will need a broader framework for understanding all of life they're not getting it from other places and kids uh, kids are being raised not by involved two parents in the home where they're being taught how to live in a particular way. They're mostly getting it from the internet or from haphazard parenting, single parenting. They, they don't have meaningful connections to their past. So people are going to be looking for somebody to give them answers in multiple spheres. And the church provides that if they are engaged in that. Because the Bible is... It does have things to say about all of these things. And so people will be looking for a framework and anything that is just spiritual but doesn't matter to um, how to combat inflation, So, to, as example, that'll be looked at as unnecessary. Another part of having robust answers is that these churches have to really fight against not being weird. And I don't really know how to define weird, but I hope you just know what I mean by that. Like, you know, you don't sound so nerdy. Like, you have to make a big deal about every single small confessional point. Or, like, you make a big deal about small things in the faith, and it just turns people off. Or you sound like you're a geek with your with some of your answers to stuff. I don't really know. You just have to know what I mean by weird. You know those weird Christians? It's like, okay, that's great. You sound smart, but that doesn't great like that, that's all there is to it people are going to have to actually appeal to those who are raised in internet generation and in a post-covid world and so we can't be weird christians and I, you can think more about that word secondly a characteristic will be that it gives a sense of identity again m many many people are being raised in divergent families now they're not being raised by two parents in the home. Many kids don't have fathers to look up to. Uh, we are going to see more kids raised in blended families, in, uh, in families that might have two fathers or two mothers, or a father, a parent who has transitioned to another gender. I don't think that's actually going to be a very large population of kids, but the vast majority or at least a majority of kids are going to be raised in divergent families. And so, as a result of that, they will be looking to the church to be their identity. At least these kids will be looking 
uh, for something to be their identity. And so those churches which are successful will be the ones which are providing a strong sense of identity. Many kids are going to be raised without a father. And so the church is that are gonna, that is going to be successful is one which takes them in and treats them and acts as the father that they didn't have, who t- teaches them how to be a man or how to be a woman and what the Bible has to say about that. This is going to be increasingly important to people, that we give a sense of identity for those who aren't being raised with a strong sense of identity or being taught in social media and by the pressures of others that identity is just kind of whatever, this this vague uh, shifting, oh, whatever you feel inside, that's not, that's not sustainable. That's not going to last. It, people are going to look for objective senses of identity because they're going to be living in a world which is objectively giving them a whole lot of crap and objectively is costing them more money than it did for their parents and grandparents. And objectively, they don't know how to do things that their parents could do. They don't know how to farm. They don't know how to fix a car or a bike. Uh, they don't know how to cook food for a family. You know, these are things that people are going to be looking for a wholesale sense of identity. And so the churches which are strengthened over the next couple of decades will be those that prioritize family, gender, marriage, teaching people about these things and the roles of people in them. Uh, contrary to what you might hear, the churches which are standing four traditional godly gender roles are going to be the ones that grow over the next couple decades, not the ones that shrink. The middle way stuff is not going to be the compelling option for people. It'll be those who teach that men should be the, the primary providers of their families, that they go out to work and provide for their household. And the women are going to increasingly leave the workforce and be at home raising their children. Going back to the traditional roles, the biblical roles, the churches which do this and teach this are going to be the ones that grow and have the support of people. These are the these are the ones that are providing discipleship and things because they weren't raised in what it means to be a man. A lot of people don't have a solid understanding of what it means to be a woman, how to raise a child, how do you be a grandparent, and some of the other skills I said before about homemaking and even keeping a job, what are the characteristics of how I work? These are things that we're not getting in our divergent families. So the church is going to be stepping in the gaps there. The successful ones will be. And also, I think that uh, many of the churches that survive and thrive, that become these mega churches, are those with a media presence. Like it or not, we are in a world which is going to continue in information and information sending and sharing. And so those which are not involved in the informational systems, media, social media, uh, putting out videos, interviews, uh, all these types of things, those that are not on these are going to be, they won't necessarily lose all influence, but they won't grow at the same rate. The ones that are going to be most influential are those with a media presence. Because that's where people will continue to be inundated with the, with information. It's not going away. We will continue to get most of our information from what we see on a smart device of some kind or, or on a screen of some kind. This is going to continue. So the, the churches which are involved in, these, in this sphere of media and information sending, those are going to be the ones that are most successful. And then you can put all of those answers in the inverse. The churches which die or will be in life support are those which are not the things above. 
They're not providing robust answers in multiple spheres, but they're too narrow. They are not engaged in the crises of society giving answers. They're weird. They don't give a sense of identity. Uh, they're not uh, planting their stake in the ground on, on marriage and gender, the issues of homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, and whatever issue, transhumanism's coming up. That'll be an issue over the next couple decades too, and some others. So, And they don't have a media presence. Those Combine all those types of things, those will be the churches that are going to be dying or put on life support or have basically no influence. That's going to be the, the landscape, how it changes. So the last thing I want to start considering, uh, there's two more things I want to consider. Let's think a little bit longer term than 20 years. I don't have too much to say about this. Again, the longer you go out, the it can be harder and harder to make accurate predictions of things. So if we look at the trends, I think we're going to see increasing intense pressure over the next decade. I already said, I think we're going into some extreme times that are going to include war and the economic woes are going to get worse. Cultural woes are going to get worse. Uh, this is going to happen, but it's not going to be forever. And the problems that like there, there will be peace and prosperity at the end of the chaos that's coming. That might take a couple decades before we get to the the prosperity part, but I think we're we're going into a decade of extreme chaos. Eventually, it'll go away, and we'll be fine on the other side. And people are going to look for someone to blame when the problems come, and more and more people will be blaming the causes of the issues. And one of the big ones is secularism. Secularism will be blamed for many of society's problems. It didn't give them truth. It didn't help them through crisis. It doesn't give them answers. It doesn't give them a family. It doesn't give them fellowship. It doesn't give them meaning and purpose for life, objectively. It's just this existential, you do what you want. Well, it turns out that's not very satisfying. Uh, and you won't be satisfied. The Bible gives answers for that. So secularism will be blamed for many of society's problems. And spirituality will be rampant. There will be lots of religious people, outwardly religious people. And another consideration is um, longer term, who's having babies? Uh, I've made this mention on Twitter before, but the secularists are not having babies. The LGBTQ plus QRSUV plus whatever, that community is having so few children, it's literally going to kill itself by not having children. They're putting themselves out of existence. Who's having most of the babies? Religious people committed Christians and those of other religions are having most of the babies. These children are being taught in those systems, in those traditions, and they will be raised and be embracing a lot of the things of their parents. And so we will have a mostly religious landscape in the few decades to come. So, but it's not all going to be Christians. The, the battle will then turn to a spiritual battle. It'll be a spiritual landscape between a few very large religious entities. So you'll have a ton of Christians, but you'll also, especially in Canada and the U.S. where we allow a ton of immigration, uh, and we're not, like, you don't have to be Christian to come to these countries. So there will be very many Christians, but there will also be very many Muslims and very many Hindus. So the battles are not going to be between religion and secularism. It's going to be between the different major religions. That, I think that's going, that long term, that's going to be coming. And the last thing I want to consider as my time is coming to a close here. What should we be looking out for and what are some problems that might come in the churches which will survive and thrive? Like just because the church 
gives answers to people and thrives, there's going to that's going to create its own problems, and we have to be aware of that too. And I think a couple of the big ones will be that um, people are going to come in mostly for outside benefits. We have to be on the lookout for that, that they're just coming in for the political uh, security or because it teaches them life skills um, so that they get taken care of by the fellowship and the community. People will come in for the outside benefits, so we have to remain pure in gospel, that we're primarily not just solving people's felt needs, but rather their moral and spiritual need. And that is the big one. Your your gospel is pure when you're addressing people's most pressing moral and spiritual need, which is the fact that they are going to die before their creator. They will be in hell if they do not repent before the Lord and have atonement for their sin. So we need to be pure in gospel because many people are going to be flocking to our churches for the outside benefits. Um, not only that, but we have to anticipate the problem that because of this, we're going to attract a lot of people on the extremes. There will be a lot of fringe people who want to solve the problems through means of radicalism. And so that's going to be, we're going to have more and more radicals joining our church. Just like they'll have more and more radicals on, on the left side and the secular side. They'll have more and more over there too. So we're going to have to rein in the extremism and not provide people the um, approval for doing the extreme stuff, not blowing things up, not taking matters in their own hands, going after law enforcement uh, through their own, through their own weapons or whatever. Like we have to rein in extremism. That's going to be a, a important thing. And finally, I think another problem. This is a sad problem in church history, but pastors fall in sin, and nobody's perfect. And there will be there will always be pastors who commit sins that make them ineligible for office. And since we're going to have fewer churches numerically, but more, uh, but but bigger churches, this means that there are there's going to be a very deep impact whenever one of these pastors falls in sin. There's already big impact now, but because we'll have fewer big churches, when a pastor falls, there's going to be a huge impact of that. There will be very influential pastors who fall in sin, and we have to be ready for that and have succession plans and have spiritual care available to people. And there's a whole lot of ways that we can address this problem, even in thinking about who we surround these leaders with as for accountability and for support and fellowship. But when very influential pastors fall in sin, that's going to create an even bigger societal impact than when a current pastor falls in sin. So we can think more about that and the implications of that later but that's something to be on the lookout for for the churches that do survive and thrive which is going to be the case so i hope this is ultimately encouraging to think about and i hope this this you may not have thought this way before but i hope you start to or at least see the see an appreciation for thinking this way the the problems are always going to be there we're we have a changing landscape we have big problems today but our problems today are not going to be the major problems in 10 years or in 20 years or in 50 years. There will be different problems and we will have different answers. We, we will answer them in a nuanced way that's a little bit different than we answer them now, but we always go back to our unchanging objective standard, the word of God, which provides the answers for men and women made in God's image, which is everybody. So people will continue to look for answers for the problems that they face, but we will always have an unchanging anchor, which is Christ. 
who's going to provide hope, who does provide hope, and we will not, he, he's not going to allow his church to fail or to fall. It, and it's not going away. We are going to actually increase in influence and increase the amount of people who come into the church over the next couple decades. And I hope that is encouraging. And not only encouraging from an intellectual standpoint, but encouraging in getting you involved. It's, there's no room for sideline Christians anymore. And that's going to continue to be the case. Uh, the world is going to need Christians who stand up and love them by teaching them God's law, by serving them, by teaching them to obey God, by getting them baptized, getting them discipled, taking care of their children, teaching them what it means to be men and women, and that it is beautiful to be a man or a woman, which God made you to be when he knitted you in the womb. There is so much hope here. And I hope that you are not getting too discouraged by the day that we are in because this is not a a bad time to be alive we face hardships but christ will use faithful men and women in the church to continue his mission and that'll be the most satisfying thing you can do with your life is picking your position going before the lord goes before you trust in the lord make disciples be involved in your church have lots of children, raise them faithfully according to God, be a man or a woman of God, and see, have hope. That's all. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. Go in the nations. Bye-bye.